0: I'm your host, Jeffrey, and you're listening to Gaysian, the show where I talk about what matters most to the gay and Asian community. Asian visibility is booming. With movies like Shang-Chi, Crazy Rich Asians, and Minari, we are having more conversations about Asians in Hollywood. But let me be clear, we are far from where we need to be. Because even as we see an increase in visibility, Institutional racism continues to be evident in the numbers. In a 2021 report called Asian and Pacific Islanders Across Popular Films, researchers found that across 1,300 films, Asian representation is still low AF. Let's dive into the stats, shall we? The report found that only 44 of the 1,300 films had an Asian leader co-lead, and... Only 22 Asian actors were featured in prominent roles compared to the 336 white male actors. But even when Asian characters are present in these movies, which isn't a whole lot, they tended to be tokenized, isolated, or stereotyped. It's still the case that Asian women are stereotyped as hypersexual while Asian men are characterized as non-manly and undesirable. In one of these films, an Asian man was even told, no one wants to have sex with you. Well, no one wants to have sex with you. How about that? Given the stats, we need to see more Asians on screen. That is a fact. But as we see more on screen, we also need to have more conversations about how they are depicted. Are we seeing real Asians or just stereotypes? For what it's worth, it looks like Asian men are pushing back against the stereotype. They're saying no more to the idea that Asian men are not real men. Henry Golding on the cover of GQ. Simu Lu flexing his biceps as Marvel's first Asian superhero. Kevin from Bling Empire continuing to talk about how ripped he is. It feels like we're in a moment where Asian men are saying, You got it wrong, America. We are real men and we are hot. Don't get me wrong, I'm all for this, but leaning too hard into traditional ideas of masculinity does nothing to redefine what it means to be an Asian man. In fact, behaving stereotypically masculine hurts Asian women and the community as a whole. If our strategy to prove that we are men is to overcompensate by behaving more masculine, then we are simply swapping one stereotype for another. But wait, some men still feel like they have a bad or worse than Asian women because they believe the stereotypes are worse for men than they are for women. They think the stereotypes Asian women face make them more desirable and men less. Spoiler alert, this just isn't true. Today, I talked to Joyce Chow, the CEO of Inclusion Labs, to understand this infighting in the Asian American community and if men are taking it too far. Stay tuned for the interview, but first, tap the follow button now to subscribe for future episodes of Cajun on Tuesdays. And if you have thoughts or opinions after listening to today's episode, I want to hear from you. DM Gaijin Podcast on Instagram or email gaijinpodcast at gmail.com. All right, let's get into the interview. Hi, Joyce. Thanks so much for joining us today. You are the founder and CEO of Inclusion Labs. What is Inclusion Labs?
1: Inclusion Labs is a nine-week fellowship program for folks who really care about equity and inclusion and want to explore how to live out those values, both in and out of the workplace. And we take a really identity-based approach. So we spend a lot of the nine weeks thinking about how we identify, what we learned about what it means to identify in the ways that we do, and then how that understanding then impacts the way we engage with the world and the ways that the world engages with us. So I know we'll get into it, but when you reached out to me about this conversation around gender norms within the Asian community, I was really excited to dig in and and talk about all of that.
0: Before we talk about toxic Asian masculinity and its impact on women, I want to first acknowledge that the Asian American community has a collective cause. Although we may have differences within our own community, we're still working toward a set of goals that may be similar. Um, What is a collective cause and what is our collective cause in the Asian American movement?
1: Yeah. Well, how much time? (laughs) How much time do we... First, I would say that question around what a collective cause is. I think it is a central or shared cause that we are all advocating towards and working towards, right? But that second question of what a collective cause in the Asian American movement is, or the Asian diaspora in Western countries, is a much bigger one. I think the First thing to note there is that the Asian American community is not a monolith, right? Um, and I know we'll talk about this some more, but in the United States, uh, for example, we have these communities from Central Asia and East Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Western Asia. And within each of these subregions are also all of these different ethnic groups with their own histories and cultures. So even the term Asian American or the concept of an Asian American shared identity or movement can feel really expansive, right? And it's it's really hard to define or pin down. And so when I think about the history of the Asian American movement, kind of where it's been and where it's heading, what I see is this coalition of the different communities under the Asian diaspora coming together around collective causes of challenging historical injustices related to exclusion, violence, dehumanization, and just kind of all of the different ways those injustices manifest for the Asian community. And we do this by demanding to be seen and visible and to have our humanity acknowledged. And, you know, even though the stories are not necessarily told, we've been doing this for a very long time. From Larry Leong organizing for labor rights, Yuri Kochiyama advocating for civil rights, protesters demanding justice for Vincent Chin. And we've shown up in different movements around that humanization and visibility all the way through present day. And and so, you know, to talk about one piece of that collective cause, as I think relates to today's topic, the work of Asian diaspora actors, especially in the U.S., for example, it's really an opportunity to advance that visibility and to tell these nuanced stories about Asian experiences that are an important component of the broader rights that we need to also be advocating yeah. for.
0: Even though we share a collective cause, people outside Asian circles may not know that our community has actually a plurality of different identities. And as an aside, I think that's one stereotype for Asians in general. It's that we're all the same when in fact we're not. We are not one monolithic group. We have many differences. For example, me being a gay Asian person is different than being a straight Asian person what should people know about the differences um, within our community and how do those differences make our dynamic complex mm-hmm.
1: yeah our community is so complex uh, <laughs> our communities come from all these different countries and each of them have their own cultures and histories and that includes histories of one another right so some of our countries have also been at war or colonized by others and that collective memory sometimes still sits with us And that can translate into sentiments we hold in in America. And so I think it makes for a common experience and common perspective quite messy. But in addition to that breadth of ethnic communities, we also have people who in our community have recently immigrated here to people whose families have been here for generations. We have major wealth gaps across our communities. We ascribe to many different faiths. We're different in citizenship and documented status. We're complex in sexual orientation, gender identity, disability status. And so we're this complex community whose narrative is often flattened into a singular story, if it's told at all. Um, And this narrative scarcity puts us in these constant dynamics of unifying or trying to unify and yet fighting for these really different Mm -hmm. needs.
0: Mm. Is there a hierarchy of power within the Asian American community? Aren't we all just a marginalized group? Yeah,
1: we are all marginalized. And yet there, I think there's a lot more nuance to unpack under that statement. I'm going to zoom out of our community for a second and start with a broader lens around race, if that's okay. I think relative to Black communities, Asian Americans are often um, conditionally privileged. I use the term conditional very intentionally because for those who are familiar with the creation of the model minority myth, that myth was designed to uphold white power and white supremacy at the end of the day. That myth still heavily pathologized Asian cultures and still contributes to the othering that our communities face. So, you know, I say that conditional privilege with a very heavy asterisk. But all we have to do is ask ourselves, you know, whose faces do we think of when we use the term Asian Um, and who do we associate with the model minority and who truly is safe, who is seen as, quote unquote, dangerous or, um, quote unquote, a terrorist. When we start having those conversations, we do see this stratification of power across our groups. And so, you know, I do think, yes, we are all marginalized, but there is that hierarchy Mm -hmm. that exists.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to get into stereotypes. And in movies and other popular media, the Asian American man is frequently characterized as emasculated, undesirable or undateable, and not a real man. What does it mean to be emasculated and how could that impact someone's perspective about themselves or about others?
1: so to start with the basic definition, to be emasculated is to be seen as less of a quote unquote man or to have manhood taken away. Uh, And then it leads you to start wondering, well, how would you define man? How do you define manhood? And so when I started doing some digging into sort of the root and the history of the word of emasculation, it's derived from the Latin word for castrate. And so, you know, we can see this historical association between manhood and physicality. Or more broadly speaking, between gender and sex assigned at birth. And so I think that association continues to play out in our, in our ideas of being a man today, where it's associated with physical strength, sexual dominance, and so forth. And I think it certainly impacts men in feeling like they need to fit this box and contributes to these really internalized ideas of dominance and patriarchy. It definitely impacts Asian men, and I think it perpetuates a lot of physical and emotional and sexual violence against women who are seen as weaker. And and the last thing I would say about that is it's extremely damaging to trans and non-binary folks whose gender identities are not based on what people traditionally associate with their sex assigned at birth.
0: It's important for people to know that stereotypes are carefully constructed throughout history to disadvantage certain groups of people. Where did this stereotype about the emasculated Asian man come from and how does it disadvantage them?
1: So this goes all the way back. I I love being a student of history, right? I think there's a lot of answers we can glean from looking at the context. In the 1800s, there was an increase in the population of Chinese laborers and Filipino laborers in the U.S., And white folks, particularly white men, were really concerned about this increase in population. And so they enacted a lot of anti-miscegenation laws that really prohibited interracial marriage and especially prohibited interracial marriage for white women and men of color. And one of the ways that the propaganda at the time communicated this message was around this emasculation of Asian men. Asian men were seen as foreign. They were seen as other. They were seen as undesirable. And I think a lot of those images continue to live out in our social consciousness today.
0: Mm -hmm. Because the stereotype takes manhood away from Asian men, Some may overcompensate or overcorrect for this stereotype, so much so that they begin to celebrate and embody a very dangerous toxic masculinity. What is toxic masculinity and how does it impact Asian women?
1: Toxic masculinity is used to describe this adherence to traditional gender norms that are assigned to men, Um, and they're often rooted in this over-indexing of value placed on dominance and physical strength. So toxic masculinity stigmatizes and limits the emotions that society deems acceptable from boys and men. So, for example, sadness and fear are not acceptable, while other emotions such as anger are. Now, toxic masculinity shows up as violence for Asian women in a number of ways. Asian women are stereotyped as submissive and docile. So the the antithesis of dominance and so Asian women face this very pervasive and widespread expectation, oftentimes to be caretakers of men who, again, are taught to sort of overpower and dominate. And challenging these expectations can lead to some really dangerous scenarios from domestic violence to sexual assault to physical mm-hmm.
0: abuse. Mm-hmm. Some may say that the stereotype against Asian men and women are different and that the stereotype that women face is actually quote unquote positive and that Asian women are considered more desirable while Asian men are less. Uh, What do you think about this?
1: Yeah. So I think the first thing to just name uh, before we jump into that answer is that Asian men do experience these stereotypes of emasculation, right? They're seen as quote unquote weaker than other men and relatedly less quote unquote attractive. And so I think this harms Asian men in many ways. I just want to acknowledge up upfront. Um, for example, the ways in which race and gender come together for Asian men often leads to this societal subconscious that assumes Asian men are foreigners threats to this country, um, and yet not physically, quote unquote, strong enough to defend themselves if they were to be challenged physically, emotionally, socially. So they do experience this harm in very particular ways with these very detrimental outcomes. Asian women are deemed desirable precisely as a result of these gender norms. Um, In a world where men are expected to be dominant, Asian women are stereotyped as submissive. And this serves to reinforce the patriarchy and toxic masculinity where men are expected to be dominant. So Asian women become desirable in the sense that they provide this utilitarian value to men, which just further reinforces the toxic masculinity that then perpetuates that violence mm. against us.
0: Where does that violence come from?
1: That violence comes from both within and outside of the Asian community. Uh, Non-Asian men perpetuate this violence, as we saw in the Atlanta spa shootings in March of this year, um, where a white gunman killed eight, six of whom were Asian women, and cited this need to, quote-unquote, eliminate temptation. Right? We can also look to the Page Act of 1875 that excluded Chinese women from immigrating to the United States, sort of on this presumption that Chinese women were prostitutes who lacked moral character. And we can see this in the way that the sex work industry, where Asian women make up a sizable part of the demographic, continues to be criminalized today, or even in the way that an entire genre of pornography displays Asian women as victims of rape or lacking agency altogether. So there's a lot of violence external to our community that we experience.
0: Mm. What about violence within our own community?
1: I think an important part of this conversation is that Asian men also play a role propagating this violence. And so, you know, yes, they are certainly harmed by racist ideas about Asian men, but it really doesn't excuse the role that many also play in upholding that patriarchy against women. And we see this in the way that Asian men and men broadly expect Asian women to be caretakers of their needs. We see this in the way that Asian men are physically, verbally, or emotionally abusive towards Asian women in their lives, whether or not it's rooted in this idea of overcompensating for emasculation. And then we see this in the way they continue the cycle of harassment and abuse when Asian women challenge this kind of behavior. Even in this conversation around toxic masculinity and its impact on women, I'm acutely aware of the way this dynamic uh, sort of plays out. Just speaking anecdotally, I can't tell you how many times friends in my life have told me that by calling attention to the patriarchy that um, Asian women experience, I'm somehow invalidating the struggles of Asian men. And the expectation is that I should somehow minimize my own experiences to center their perspectives and their experiences. And unfortunately, I just know so many other women in my life who have had men demand the same of them. Mm -hmm.
0: It's clear to me that stereotypes have a very real impact and play out in such complicated ways within a community. I want to go back to the stereotype about Asian women as being desirable. Some say that this is positive, but at the end of the day, this stereotype objectivizes and disadvantages Asian women.
1: Yeah, and honestly, when I look at it from a true systems perspective, I have yet to see evidence that the desirability for Asian women leads to positive outcomes. That's not to dismiss the struggles that Asian men also experience. The desirability of Asian women contrasted with the lack of desirability for Asian men does create this disparity where Asian women we see are more sought after for dating and other dynamics in the relationship realm, but it also propagates significant gender violence here too. Neither does our desirability lead to justice in courtrooms or equity in hiring, compensation, leadership opportunities, labor rights, or anything else systematically. So I have heard that idea before, but I wouldn't say the desirability is positive in any sense that leads to justice or rights for Asian women or even the Asian community broadly.
0: Mm. Do you think that this infighting, men thinking that women have a better this infighting within our community is productive is it directed in the right place and if not where should we be focusing our efforts as a collective community even though our experiences may be different.
1: So I do think that this infighting is damaging to our community. And I appreciate the nuance that you asked that question with. Like when I think about the infighting dynamic and whether it's productive or not, I'm specifically thinking about that misplaced aggression and anger that many Asian men direct towards Asian women. So no, I wouldn't say that the blame or the energy is being funneled into the right places right now. And again, taking it back to the history, I know that those anti-miscegenation laws were really a tool, an instrument to maintain whiteness and white dominance. And similarly, I think this desirability around Asian women, the submissiveness, the hypersexualization, all of those things also stem from ideas about Asian women when the U.S. was at war and needed this idea of the quote unquote comfort women. And so I think that in both instances, we see that the stereotypes surrounding both Asian men and Asian women were really to uphold white supremacy. So when we talk about focusing our efforts as a collective community, yes, our experiences may be different, but they are rooted in the same idea of Asian people being dehumanized or exoticized or othered in some way. And so where we should be directing our efforts is telling really nuanced stories about the Asian community for both men and women and non-binary folks. And I think we should also be thinking about directing our efforts to advocate for Asian women. Now, however, in this conversation about focusing our efforts as a collective community, I want to make sure these words are not weaponized to tell Asian women that they cannot hold Asian men accountable for also perpetuating racialized misogyny. You know, that may look like conflict and fighting, but I think that accountability is necessary. It's just so critical for protecting Asian women. And it's really critical for the broader healing of our community, right? You can't talk about a collective community if part of that mm. community is being harmed by others in it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I want to get even more critical, even about this interview and the questions I've asked you know, all of this conversation about toxic masculinity may make men the center of this conversation. And yes, it's important to name this phenomenon where Asian men may feel that their masculinity is threatened and therefore act a certain way towards women and overcompensate. But I worry that if we just continue to frame the issue this way that Asian women are completely lost within the conversation or at least only thought of in relation to men.
1: Yeah, uh, I absolutely agree with that idea. You know, we certainly do need to be having conversations that advocate for Asian women separate from their relationship to men we need to continue challenging these hypersexualization and docility stereotypes of Asian women broadly. I mean, just one, because we're human in our own right, but two, I also think that in continuing to demand visibility and dignity for Asian women, we also can continue to challenge the stereotypes for Asian men too. But in addition to that, we also need to show up for labor rights and service industries where Asian women make up a large subset of the workforce. We need to provide more community and family support services for Asian women who are often an important source of income for their household and also more likely to hold caregiving responsibilities in these multi-generational family structures. And I think to your point about how to have that conversation, also just as importantly, we need to continue challenging the toxic masculinity that's directed at Asian women. The men in our community can and should see themselves as active participants in pushing back on the violence against Asian women too.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Joyce, for being on the show today. If folks want to reach out or if they want to learn more about your work, where should they go?
1: So I am mostly active on LinkedIn, or if folks want to learn more about sort of the work that I do around Inclusion Labs or anything else, they can go to inclusionlabs.org or my personal website, joycechow.com.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Joyce. Yeah, thank you.